shining a light on podcasts and videos that have caught our attention. The Spotlight with Jen Spiker. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the free Vision Christian Media app. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. We've covered a lot of territory on the possibilities why we might go through some of the unfortunate events of our lives. But can I come to this point now in this all-important sixth resolution? Most of the unfortunate events, I, I am totally convinced that come into our lives, that God is orchestrating his pieces on the chessboard to accomplish his ultimate good, and we're part of the movement. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. We're making our way through the Unpossible series from Judges. And Pastor Jeff still has some more resolutions to come as he looks at Gideon and the resolutions we find in these verses from Judges, chapters 6 and 7. Last time we started a message about what's happening on the other side of the camp. If you want to catch up on the whole series, you'll find it all in your favourite podcast app. Just search for the Unpossible series. Right now, let's hear the rest of today's message. British Shepherds will often take sheep and rams one by one and throw them into this large dipping trough. It's, it's, a, it's a huge vat filled with this type of antiseptic liquid. It's, it's painful, but necessary. So the shepherd has to completely submerge, a practice that still goes on today, completely submerge each animal holding its ears and eyes and nose under the surface long enough to take care of the disease. And of course, this is a horribly frightening event to the sheep. And if the sheep tries to climb out too early before the work is done, then the sheepdog will come over and usually bark or snap at the sheep and force him back in. As terrifying as the experience is for the sheep, without the periodic treatment, they will become the victims of parasites and diseases. So it's for their own good, even if it's beyond their understanding. However, and you might have noticed, we've covered a lot of territory on the possibilities why we might go through some of the unfortunate events of our lives. But can I come to this point now in this all-important sixth resolution? Here's the deal. Most of the time, and I do believe this, there are those rare times when we suffer not only unfortunate events, but those events that just seem so difficult to be able to cope with. Where we, well, like we said last week, where we, we just want to sit down and cry. Listen. Most of the unfortunate events, I, I am totally convinced that come into our lives have more to do with this than the rod or the staff. That God is orchestrating his pieces on the chessboard to accomplish his ultimate good and we're part of the movement. That's all that's happening. We're not being punished. It's not part and part to the uh, fallen world. God is not even disciplining us. All those, those things are true. He's not protecting us with the rod and the staff. Most of the time, I am convinced that the things that come into our lives that are unfortunate seem to be unfortunate to us, but it's simply God using us for his purposes to, do, to, to give a great victory, not only to us, but in the lives of others and to promote or finish the good work that he's begun in all of us. A life of adventure is not the absence of unfortunate events. It's not. And one of the reasons God has the right 
to use us for his purposes in this way is because he's already defeated our greatest enemy, which is death. Death is dead. Because death is dead, whatever God requires from us here is for a greater good and greater purpose beyond us. And oftentimes he moves us into situations that seem unfortunate, but we're just changing places on the chessboard for God to use us at that moment in time for something that is extraordinary. We had our prayer meeting this past Monday, but Michael taught us the names of God. And one of the names that struck me was the name Adonai, which basically means master. He's our master. So if I paint a painting, who owns it? I do. If I build a structure with my own resources, who owns it? I do. If I carve a masterpiece, who owns it? I do. Who made you? God. Who gave you breath and life? God. Who redeemed you to everlasting life? God. Who made you? God. You are his creation created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works planned out beforehand. We are owned by God. He is our master and he's a good master because ultimately, even though we might lose some battles, we win the war. Let me say it again. God is orchestrating his pieces on the chessboard to accomplish his ultimate good and we are part of the movement. He is using his servants for his greatest victories. And that often involves glorious events, but it sometimes requires unfortunate events. And he needs you to believe and to trust and to know that if he asks you to do something difficult, you can rest assured he's working on the other side of the camp to lead to the greatest victories of your life. You think about it. If the spirit moves you to change jobs, do you believe, do you believe that he has another one for you and he goes ahead to prepare you for it or it for you? If God moves and convicts you to make peace with this person, you better believe if he's convicting you, he's already working in her heart or his heart to prepare for the meeting. If God inspires you to speak to this person about Jesus, you can rest assured he's already been working in the heart of that person. They're going to be receptive to you speaking to them. If you hear his voice calling you to restore a relationship with your spouse, one that you thought could never be, never be saved, never be restored, if he's inspiring you and leading you and speaking to you, you can rest assured that he's also working in his or her heart as well. And when God lays your children on your heart, every time you pray, it moves the hand of God to orchestrate events in the lives of your children that are designed to turn their hearts toward home. So when God inspires you and speaks to you and leads you to speak a hard word to somebody that you love, you can rest assured if he's asking you to do that, he's on the other side of the camp. Now listen carefully and then we'll close our time. Are you beginning to see the high price of life without discipleship? (laughs) Folks, if you don't have the discipline in your life to meet with God regularly, then you won't hear the shepherd's voice. If you can't hear the voice of God, how many great adventures are you going to miss out on? Do you see the high price? It's such a small thing, and yet with eternal consequences, to have a time set aside every day to talk and to listen, to read the word of God and ask the spirit of God to show you a word for that day. I mean, what does that take, 15 minutes? And yet when you do that regularly, it builds up a reservoir over time where suddenly you begin to recognize the voice of God as the Holy Spirit activates the right word at the right time to give you the greatest victories of your life. But if you're not in tune with God and that relationship's not there, you're not gonna gonna hear the voice of God 
to instruct you for the greatest victories of your life. And, and life is going to be boring. I can't remember what movie it was. I th- I'm pretty sure it was a James Bond movie where the antagonist said, there's no use living if you can't feel alive. Can I tell you, I agree with that. And you know when you feel most alive, when you know you're hearing the voice of God and he asks you to do something difficult and you do it and you see all along he was working on the other side of the camp to give you an extraordinary victory. You know, I love the story that I tell often about Swan Quarter, the church that came out of Swan Quarter, North Carolina. One of my favorite stories. On a rainy afternoon, 143 summers ago, a stack of sworn statements and legal documents legitimized this story because many people have tried to track it down and say, oh, that's hard to believe, but it's, it's true. It's, it's believable. And God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask for or imagine. But there was a little Methodist church in Swan Court in North Carolina, had no church building, and it had this fiery young preacher who was a man of great faith. And he knew the church was growing and the church was growing because he was preaching the truth of the gospel. He took no glory or no credit for it. He gave God all the glory. And he said, God, you've brought these people here. You've grown your church here in this little place called Swan Quarter. We need a building. We need some property. We don't have enough room for people to come and to teach their children and to have people far from God come near to God. So he's fired up. The spirit is moving. And he hears the spirit of God tell him about a lot in a central location that was perfect for the new church. And it's the lot that he wanted. But the wealthy businessman who owned it would have none of it and wouldn't sell it to the church, wouldn't be even open to a church taking possession of that property. So the pastor, even though he knew God was telling them, this is where your church is gonna be, settled on another property. It wasn't ideal, but at least it was a building. The problem is it was in one of those low-lying properties. They were cheaper but they were at great risk because of the floodplain in that part of the world. So these coastal storms would come and wash away much of the eastern seaboard. At any rate, they went ahead and bought the property in the low-lying land, and on September 16, 1876, a joyous dedication ceremony opened the doors of the new sanctuary. It was a time of rejoicing until three days later, a terrible storm blasted Swan Quarter. All day long, the wind howled, the rain pelted in a gray wall of water, days of darkness and rain, after which the residents of Swan Corner walked out, went outside to investigate the damage. They saw a desolated landscape ravaged by nature. However, here's where the story gets good. Those within the sight of Oyster Creek, the most incredible sight they had ever seen appeared. The church, the Swan Quarter Methodist Church that they had just moved into, the whole building was intact, floating down the street. All the neighbors got ropes, tried to walk out into the water, put a rope around something and try to keep it from floating out to sea, but to no avail. As the building passed by, more and more people grabbed more and more ropes. They're trying to pull it in. They tied ropes, pull it in, desperately trying to save this church building. For two more blocks, the the newspaper reports that the townspeople fought the ropes to hold it back again and again, gave every bit of energy they had unsuccessfully. And then the story says, in the same decisive manner with which it had moved, the church veers off the road and began to float what seemed to be upstream, headed for the center of a vacant lot. 
in the middle of town, a prime location indeed, and there stopped. While the flood water receded, the church remained and is there to this day. This day. Now you know where the church landed, right? In the place where the Spirit of God spoke to that young pastor and said, this is where the church is going to be. Over 143 Septembers have passed since this little white frame church removed itself to the most desirable property in Swan Quarter, the choice Highland lot where the chapel settled, but the first choice that God told this pastor would one day become a reality. Well, you can guess what happened. The shrewd, prosperous landowner whose property it was, who originally turned it down after the storm and after seeing what happened as that church building seemed to float upstream and settle right in the middle of his property, the next morning after the flood, and I quote, after discovering the church in the middle of my lot, I went to the Methodist minister and with trembling hands presented him with the deed. Surely God was involved in this. A young preacher heard the voice of God and yet he grew impatient. And so God had to take matters into his own hands. You say, well, how does this relate to what we're talking about? Well, the relationship is this. Most of us, when God speaks to us, we either think there's no way this could work or we think we get too impatient. I know I've heard from God, but I want to force his hand. You have to remember when God guides you and leads you to do something, almost equally important to the fact that God has spoken is the timing and the place with which to respond to God's promise. Patience, wait, and God will open the door to show you that this entire time he's been inspiring and speaking to you, he's been working on the other side of the camp. Now, one more quickly. I don't know how many of you know the story of Gladys Allward. She was a missionary in China in the early 1900s. She took the gospel throughout mainland China. She worked primarily with orphans and children, but sometimes the Holy Spirit would speak to her incredible life and would tell her just to walk out on the streets and just walk up and down and talk to people about Jesus. When she heard the voice of God, she would stop whatever she was doing and do exactly that. And then one day she heard the voice of God tell her to go into the far northern regions of mainland China, mainland China. She feels compelled, the Spirit's telling her to go to this place in the middle of nowhere and leads her to a dirt road and tells her to walk from village to village. And as she comes to a village to talk about the gospel, to bring the good news, she was fluent in Mandarin Chinese. She would speak, preach the gospel, and she would spend the night, have a meal, and move on to the next village. Finally, she comes to the end of the road, the last village. And as she's leaving, she says to the people, where and how far is the next village? And the people of the village said, this is the end. There's nothing left. This is isolation. You're at the end of the end. But she said, did Gladys, I heard a voice of God to tell me to press on. The spirit of God said, no, keep going. The villagers told her, told her, no, you can't do this, Gladys. It's too dangerous. But they saw that she was not going to be deterred. So the local doctor who also was involved in mission work offered to chaperone her for five days just to accompany her, accompany her and keep her safe. And then ultimately to bring her back because she wasn't going to find anything. So they packed a lot of supplies. They set out on the journey. Six days, they saw no one. The doctor actually wants to turn back. But Gladys says, no, I'm not hearing from God that we can turn around yet. Five days, six days, nine days, 10 days walking. Entirely out of food. Nothing in sight. Gladys says, I think we need to bow down and pray. So they bow down and began to pray. And then she says, well, I think we need to sing a hymn. And they sang a hymn and another hymn. And they began praying and more prayers. And they said, God, help us. We don't have any food 
for today and it's a long, long walk back. We're in trouble. The doctor prays, God, show us who this person is that you want Gladys to meet with so we can meet and get back to safety. And they pray and they sing hymns and they pray. And then suddenly the doctor stands up and runs to the edge or the foot of the mountain. And suddenly he's bringing a person back with him. And he says to Gladys, here he is, I found him. There he is right in front of her, a, a man dressed in the pride of a saffron robe, a Tibetan Buddhist monk. Gladys says, did you tell him I'm a woman? If you know anything about monks, they're forbidden to converse or have any contact with women. The doctor says, yes, I told him. And he said, he knows and he understands, but he wants you to come back to the monastery. So now we're going to go in the middle of nowhere. She says, I walked into that monastery through these amazingly huge stone gates. I wondered if we would ever get to the other side of these gates. We walked in and were shown into a large room where 500 Tibetan monk, Buddhist monks were sitting in a frozen posture, saying and doing nothing. We were then shown to two little bamboo cushions and made to sit down. I turned to Dr. Wang and inquired as to what we should do. He said, just sing. So I started singing. Stay with me. Now, here's what followed next. She sang a hymn. He taught the gospel to these Buddhist monks. Salvation is by grace through faith. She sang another hymn. He taught the gospel. There's only one savior. His name is Jesus Christ. This went on for hours. She sang, he preached. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. She sings, he preaches. She sings, he pre hours and hours. Then finally, Gladys said, I'm so tired. I'm about to fall over. I need to go to bed. So they show her to her room. They escort her to a very small room. She began preparing for bed when just a few minutes later, there was a knock on the door. Two priests stood at the door and said, woman, are you too tired to tell us some more about this Jesus? They came in. They listened intently for seven minutes and then they left. And then there was another knock on the door, two more. And then another knock on the door, two more. This went on through the entire night. And they kept asking questions. Will you explain how and why Jesus died? They never questioned that God created the world. They never questioned the virgin birth. They never questioned any miracle of the Bible. They believed them. It just said, can you please explain to us this? Because it appears that God loves us. They were obsessed with God's love, a God who would send his own son. Christ's death on the cross dominated their thoughts. And they were trying to get their head around how the God of the universe who created all things would actually love people. Their hearts were broken by a message they had never heard. The next morning, Dr. Wong told Gladys that he had experienced the same thing all through the night. So he's awakened every 15 minutes by two more monks. This goes on for weeks, teaching, singing during the day, teaching, explaining during the night. And then finally, the head monk, she had not previously seen him or knew his name, but the head monk invited, not Dr. Wang, just Gladys. She says, to my surprise, he spoke the pure Mandarin Chinese, which I understood perfectly. We discussed various things until I asked very daringly, why did you invite me, a foreign woman, to come into this monastery and teach your priest? He responded, it's a long story, but it starts like this. The monastery was supported by the harvesting of licorice herbs. So they would harvest these herbs in the field nearby. And on one occasion, one man in the middle of the village where they were selling these herbs stood up with pamphlets in his hand 
and said, who wants one? Salvation for free and for nothing. Whoever believes gets salvation, take one now. So the monks took the paper, brought it back to the monastery, almost finished now. She says, then I was shown the piece of paper, worn and torn and attached to the walls of the monastery. It was an ordinary tract with John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. From that, they had learned that there is a God and this God loves and has intervened in history on a rescue mission. That's all they knew, nothing more. However, they began praying to this God who loves without knowing his name. Year after year, they prayed and prayed as this piece of paper on the wall was getting older and older. So they began to pray, God, send us someone who will teach us about your truth. Finally, just a week ago, one of our monks, he said, was on the other side of the mountain of the road, which we rarely go, but he heard a voice say, go to this section of the mountain. And through the mountain air, he heard someone singing a song. And he knew immediately as he's prompted by this voice that the one singing the song was the messenger God was sending to teach them the love of God because the only one who sang so gently and sweetly would know about the love of God. 500 Tibetan monks hear the good news of the gospel. Now, can you, can you consider all the moving parts to this story? A woman learns to discern the voice of God. A man in a village hears and obeys God's command to pass out leaflets proclaiming the good news. A doctor hears the voice of God instructing him to accompany this crazy lady on a meaningless journey. A woman is told to keep traveling on a road that seems to lead to nowhere, even after she runs out of resources to do so. A head monk in an isolated monastery sends his students to a place monks seldom go to hear an old lady singing a hymn at the right time in the right place. And a voice speaks to the monk and says, listen to the sweetness of the voice. This is the one who will teach you about the love of God. What is the result of God moving all these pieces on the chessboard? 500 monks in a remote place hear the good news of the gospel because people in different places doing different things heard the voice of God, obeyed, believed that it was God asking them to do something difficult. He must be working on the other side of the camp, preparing the way that would lead to an extraordinary adventure and an exhilarating victory. And does that not remind you of Genesis 29, where God allows Joseph to be sold to the Ishmaelites and then allowed a righteous man to be falsely accused so that he would go to a prison to interpret a dream that would later be remembered and cause Joseph to stand before the most powerful man in the land in order to interpret his dream, save the nation of Israel from extinction so that the promise for a Messiah would not be broken. Someone has said, the world is yet to see what God can do with a life that is fully and completely devoted to him. You and I are like the sheep in the field. Our lives are ordered and our days are numbered. Therefore, since we know the shepherd has our best intentions in mind and will ultimately lead us to safety, we must live as though each day is our last, trusting that God is at work all around us to create extraordinary opportunities and events as he guides us safely home. My challenge to you, learn to hear the voice of God so that you don't miss out on the greatest adventures of your life. And when he gives you the hard word of instruction, obey it, trusting that the God who gave you the word is working on the other side of the camp to give you the greatest victories of your life. Father, thank you for a great narrative here in Judges chapter seven. I pray that as this word goes out, 
that there would be people all around the world that would be saying, you know what, God's, God's given me a hard word a long time ago and I've just sat on it because I'm afraid of what might happen. And in doing so, they've missed this extraordinary life of perhaps a new opportunity, a new relationship, a new job, the restoration of something that has been lost. Wherever they are, I pray this moment, in this hour, they would trust that if the spirit of the living God is prompting them, they can have complete trust and faith that you're working on the other side of the camp to bring them a victory. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.